We continue today in Romans 9. Now, this is not an easy part of the Bible to exactly make perfect sense out of. And, you know, we're just like you. We're not claiming to have all the answers. We're just doing our best. So we had some difficulty in this episode, not only uh, getting a real perfect grasp on the content, but also we had some audio issues. And part of the audio that we were not able to capture was Steve reading the passage for today. The passage for today is Romans 9, starting in verse 17. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some, and he chooses to harden the hearts of others, so they refuse to listen. Well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them to do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy who were prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and the Gentiles. So I hope you enjoy the show. Steve and I do our best. And at the end, after the show, I do what I always do when I have a question. I call my dad and see if he's got some extra insight. So we're going to be talking about Romans 9 today. And I believe it's uh Row Woman's. Oh, yes. Row Woman's. This is this is the Amen versus a woman week at uh you, asked, Good me, Race you asked me to think of a of the word that has <laughs> men in it. And it took and you I 24 hours to come up with one. <laughs> I didn't even think of Romans. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing the show's about. <laughs> Yes. So, um, do you remember talking about the, the, the verses we're going to cover today are actually kind of interesting. They're, they're very controversial and it's something that we've had some experience with. Do you remember talking about as kids, children? I remember when I was in high school getting into debates so there was certain hot topic issues like um, predestination uh, or, you know, can you lose your salvation? Can you become a Christian and then lose your salvation? And then I would go into, you know, with other people in Bible studies and stuff, and we would just pick out our favorite verses and sling them at each other. 
We'd go round and round and round. Yeah. What do you do with this verse? You, yeah, it was like you a, can't get out of this one. Yeah, it was like a, a political debate where you're just talking over each other because you've already got your mind made up on whatever side of the tracks you're on, and you don't really have a solid answer for your opposition, and they don't really have a solid answer for you. Neither yeah. one is satisfactory, and both people always walk away thinking they were right. And at that point in your life, you haven't been beat up enough by your life and circumstances to really even deal with the ideas in a meaningful way. Yeah. Well, I hadn't been proven dead wrong on many things when I was 17. Yeah. At 40, I've been proven dead wrong <laughs> plenty. So it's like, Oh, okay. Sometimes I just am wrong. So I should be a little bit more uh, quick to listen as the Bible says. Yes. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. College, we went, uh, my brother and I and a guy, our, our friend, Trevor, would go to this Bible study on Wednesday nights. We called it the Calvinist Bible study. And uh, this Calvinist Bible study, there was not a Bible study where we did not cover the topic that we're going to be talking about today. And I remember thinking, oh, whoa. This, this is new territory for me. I don't, I don't remember thinking about this in these specific ways. And we were there for, you know, cute girls and stuff. So, uh, it wasn't, it didn't blow my mind too badly, but, uh, but it was, it was, it was a good Bible study. I learned a lot. Um, but these topics that we're going to be covering today really, really threw me for a loop. From memory, I seem to remember you and Trevor being more on the Calvinist side. That's and true. And me arguing with you against it. Yeah, that's true. But the thing about it is we had never met a real Calvinist at that point in our lives. When we were when you and I were discussing these things, yeah. we were coming from more of a Calvinist perspective, but then we met real Calvus and we were like, whoa, that's, that's, that's extreme. Like we didn't realize. I'm sure there are, you know, this is like, you know, talking about predestination in a Christian group is like just mentioning something about Trump or, you know, Obama in a, in a group. It's like a bomb. Everybody wants to, I mean, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got something to say. Um, and it's funny to be the one in front of a microphone. And I, you know, when I read this, I was pretty discouraged because I was like, well, that, that's odd. That, that's difficult. I don't know exactly what to do with it. And so converse to a lot of people, I, I didn't really know what to say. I was like, well, shoot. Um, I heard a pastor say once in regards when he just touched lightly on the idea of predestination. And basically when we talk about Calvinism or predestination, what we're saying is on one side, you believe that everybody has an equal chance at going to heaven and they're going to make a decision for themselves. 
where they will spend eternity based on how they respond to God's word. On the other hand, the Calvinist would say, well, God created everybody, and for reasons unknown to us, some people he chose and some people he did not choose. And so basically, if you're chosen, congratulations, you hit the jackpot. And if you're not chosen, well, it doesn't really matter. You're, you're not ever, you're just never going to accept it. So, uh, it's kind of like a foregone conclusion. And so I've always been more on the line of, well, we're all the same. He loves everybody. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And so we all have a shot and we're going to spend eternity based on our response to him in this life. So if you read chapter nine, the section we just read to, instead of it's, it's closing, God's only choosing these people. And he's now saying, listen, it was God that got to choose to choose you. And now God's choosing everyone. God's saying, everyone can get this. You can't be upset about that. Like God is adopting the Gentiles in. You can't be upset about that. And it's because if the Gentiles have the faith, they can be saved through grace as well. They can, through faith, you know, it's their faith that makes them righteous, right? It's God who chooses to make them righteous because of their faith. And I think that, I think that's the paradigm shift I had with this section is that we are not looking at a chapter saying, listen, the old game was there was the Jews who were living by the law and God got to choose that. God got to choose to bless them. And now God got to choose to, to go for everyone and don't act like this is new Jews. This is something that they've been, that God's been explaining since Abraham. God told Abraham, I am going to use your descendants to save the whole world. And everyone in the world is going to be blessed through your descendants. And uh, I think at the time, the Jews were like, no, those are Gentile dogs, right? Right. They're, the, they're not chosen. They're, you know, rotten. And I think Paul was trying to explain that God gets to choose and chosen to open it up to everyone. Yeah, I, that's really great. I, I think that's a, that's an awesome perspective on it. I wrestled with this when I read it. Um, and the reason why is because it basically says, starts by talking about Pharaoh and saying, God chose to harden his heart. Yeah. And so it says some people God chooses to show mercy on and then others he chooses to harden the hearts of them. And then he follows it up with what is a very reasonable question to me. And that is so well, then you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? I'm like, yeah, thank you. That's what it, that's what it <laughs> seems to say. Yeah. And then what he follows it up with is no, don't say that. 
who are you a mere human being to argue with God? And then he goes into the jars of clay analogy. And what I, you asked me once if I had ever said something to my dad and he misunderstood me. Yeah. And I remember just visiting recently, I was trying to talk about how there are people who make fake videos. And it was a video where somebody was being honored and then they clipped it and edited it over to see Nancy Pelosi stand up and tear the speech that was the State of the Union speech. Oh, okay. And the video was made in such a way to make it look like she tore the speech in a direct response to this soldier who was being um, honored. Okay. So what I was telling, what I was trying to explain was that there are people who edit videos in a dishonest way yeah. So it makes you think those two events were like hours apart. But yep. the way the video makes it look looks like they're back to back and directly correlated. So then um my dad heard me say that example and he started to talk to me about why the the message that that video was relaying was actually not that far off, you know, he felt like the message, the video was accurate and like, you can't, this is a bad example because, you know, that is why she tore the speech or something like that. And I'm sitting there going, well, what I was talking about was video editing, not the intent of whoever edited this dishonest video. Uh, I was talking about how that misrepresents a timeline and to, to drive point home a message. And my dad is saying, but that's a good message. And when, and I'm like, well, I should have picked another example. Who cares what it is? I don't care if it's, you know, a cooking show where they, they put it, the raw chicken in the oven, and then they pull out the fully cooked chicken because it's a five minute bit on a morning show. Yeah. It's not the same chicken. And everybody <laughs> knows that. They didn't yeah. actually sit there and, and cook a turkey in 30 seconds. So that I'm like, how do I give an example about editing a video? And you're arguing about whether or not that video that I gave the example of was legit or not, or that the message was valid. And I'm like, I'm just talking about videos. Yeah. And so with this, I think it's uh, my, my cop out maybe, but, but I might maybe not is he says, why does God, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? That might be what you're thinking. Well, let me answer that. Don't say that. Who are you, a mere human, to argue with God? And then he gives the following um, saying, well, when a potter makes a jar out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay uh, for good decoration and another one to throw garbage into? It's like in the same way, God can do whatever he wants. He's God. We don't ever put ourselves morally above God where we're judging God. And so it's kind of like what Paul is giving this analogy of is all a story on why we don't get to answer. We don't get to ask that question on yeah. how does God judge people? That's not for us to, it's like, can't he do whatever he wants? Don't you recognize that he is God? And then we 
take the example, like the video and go, wait a minute. He uses some of us for garbage and others for decoration. Like that's not fair. Yeah. We have no way to understand how God decides to do things. Right. So all that stuff that makes it sound like, well, we're predestined. Everything that we do, he made us do all of our sins. He made us sin. And so we're going to get judged for only what he orchestrated. It's like Paul is saying he's God. He can do whatever he wants. Imagine that ter- Imagine that extreme example. Would you say God still couldn't? It's like, well, no, God still can <laughs> because of who he is. Yeah. And, um, and I, you, but that's not what he does anywhere else in the Bible. No. It's almost yeah. like this is an analogy of saying, don't question God. I reject Calvinism, not because I don't think the individual ideas are exclusively wrong. I just think that the framework that we've created isn't real. And it's yeah. not it's not right to say, okay, this is true, this is true, this is true, this is true, this is true. And th- and we have verses for all, to support it all and we package it all together. We call this mechanism Calvinism and that's how it works. And it's like, yeah, but it doesn't. That's not right. Yeah. So I don't care where you, I mean, if you want to draw the works at crossing the bridge, then fine. Um, if you want to draw the word line at, you know, praying, well, it's not the prayer that saved you. It's the faith that saved you. Yeah. It's not. So, so, I mean, it's semantics at one point. It's not. Yeah. In a sense, he's right. You know, when you go up to the front, going up to the front isn't what made you a Christian. But um, I do think it has to do with your accepting. I mean, it seems like there's a certain element that you participate There's a receiving in. and believing element to it. Yeah. And the receiving and believing element is biblical. So I'm not going to argue that receiving and believing is not critical, but the receiving and believing is what the words that I would put in play. You know, I think it's just give the idea of faith and it's not, you know, to whom receives him and believes in his name. I think that's close to what it's, um, you know, they're the ones who have salvation. Well, that's how it works. And it's by faith through grace alone and not by works. That's also true. So, so believing and receiving works. (laughs) Their, their faith by grace. (laughs) Like, that yeah i do i do agree with that when i see when a kid un, is shown that 2 plus another 2 equals 4 and they see it and they understand it then do they make a decision to believe it or is it self evident and the belief is sort of bestowed on them it's like well once you understand you know, when, when the revelation 
and your eyes are opened that, okay, if I take these two and I add it to these two, then I have four and I always have four. doesn't matter what those four things are. It's mathematics and it makes sense. Well, once you, once you get that, when you're in second grade or first grade or whatever you go, um, well, for probably some people, kindergarten and probably for me, second grade, but the, the, um, you believe it and the belief is sort of involuntary because you're, once you once you have the once you have the context, there you go. When I watched the video that you sent and my brain started going down this road, all of a sudden I had this sort of clarity in the concept of what I needed to do for in my relationship to God. I had to set myself under him and submit to him and recognize who he is and who I am as his creation. And I need to turn my life over to God if anything is going to be salvaged from it. Because this body and everything I am is only here for a minute, like a vapor, and it'll be gone. And yeah. so I can't keep my life. I can only keep it. I can only enjoy it in this present until the present runs out. And if I have, if I want to have any, anything that can be saved, I've got to, I've got to surrender it. But even though I had that sort of understanding, I sat on it for a, I specifically, I didn't do it that same day or that same night. Yeah. I talked to you about it and I was literally thinking I might not be able to do this. Yeah. And then in the morning, I didn't wake up in the morning and go, all right, today's the day I'm doing it. No, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know that it's even possible, but I also recognize that I might not be at this crossroads forever just because I feel it. And it's so present right now. If I let it go another day, I might just change my mind and then not ever see the crossroads so clearly. So I felt like I can't squander the opportunity. So I got on my knees and my prayer was something to the effect of, as much as I can, like, I don't know what I can, I'm going to try right now, feebly knowing full well that I might not even be able to do what I intend, but as much as I can, I'm making that decision to surrender. Yeah. And at that point, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't even that long of a prayer. It was probably just a couple minutes, but all of a sudden I felt the whoosh of God's presence show up right after that. Now, was that a work? I don't know. It seems like a silly work. I mean, I couldn't have done it and I knew I couldn't have done it even going into it, but I at least had to try. Yes. And it seems to me like if I had not tried, he would not have shown up in the moment. And yes. so my, my experience is, that even though I don't take any credit, I think, holy cow, now on the other side, I'm like, what in the world did I see in my life that had value that I might not want to give up? What was the thing? Name <laughs> one thing that was worth hanging on to just in this yeah. moment that's always fleeting away. Yeah, I, it's, uh, it's unbelievable that I would even find it difficult to make the decision, but... My memory is still, pre I still remember that it was difficult because I didn't want to give up potentially my job, potentially my things, potentially 
my money, potentially the decisions I was going to make for the next weekend. Like I didn't want to give that up. I had things I wanted. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know, I think, experientially, it doesn't work for me to say, well, I was just chosen. It's like, well, it seems like I had a crossroads and thank God. I mean, we might find out that I didn't have a choice and God was like, yeah, idiot, get on your knees. Nice try going to sleep. Wake up. Here's, I'm still here and you're not going anywhere. That's quite possible. It's just not how it feels. Yeah. When you hear that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but it was to accomplish something greater. And it wasn't God forced Pharaoh to go to hell because of he hardened his heart a handful of times. Um, you know, he forced, yeah, he forced him to go to hell when he closed the Red Sea up on top of all of them. <laughs> Quite that possibly. Was, that was the that, that was the point. <laughs> Anytime you're talking about something that's, you know, like, can you lose your salvation? It's like, you've got to parse out like a hypothetical person who truly gives his life to the Lord and then lives in the spirit for a period of time and then completely rejects it, turns his back and commits his life to nothing but living for selfishness and saying that was all a bunk. Well, there are people who do that, and the the people who say you cannot lose your salvation, what they say about that person is, well, they were never truly saved. They had they had the the evidence looked right, but the evidence doesn't stack up over time, and so they were not really a Christian. That's one way. The other person says, well, no, they might have been a Christian at one point in time. But they definitely weren't at the end. And it kind of is like, well, in this hypothetical person, if you're this hypothetical person, you're not in a good place. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be that guy in either situation. Yeah. Finding out that you never actually were a Christian or finding out that you lost your salvation is kind of the same. So it's a weird thing to argue if you if you stop reading the Bible and start, stop trying to pinpoint it and try and prove your point with the text and then take a step back and say, well, is that what I want to be? No. <laughs> is that a good place to be in? No. I mean, why are you so desperately trying to figure it out? And I think for me, a lot of the reason why I was trying to figure it out is because I was that guy. Certainly at times you think, well, I'm a Christian, but then I do this really awful thing. And then you're like, oh no, what if I lost my salvation? Cause I'm willfully going where I shouldn't. Yeah. And that, I think that's why it, that, I think that's why there's so much passion is cause it's like, everybody can kind of see how this, if you can lose your salvation, it's going to apply to you. And nobody wants to think that they're in and out of this. Like they don't know if they're in or out of the circle. Yeah. Well, um, this is the, uh, this is the political equivalent of Christianity. When we get into these theology uh, battles and both sides always have good, solid scripture to back it up. And both sides probably aren't a hundred percent sure what to do with the other. Yeah. And, um, 
But there's some foundational things that we need to keep stick in to. mind. That's right. And that's that God's in control. He is just. He is loving. Mm-hmm. And uh and he did not create you for the purpose of destruction. Correct. He he loves you and he wants everything he's doing is trying to woo you back to him. Yes. Not not he didn't create you to be the bad guy. It says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, he did. What he what what I believe he hardened his heart in that moment. It doesn't say that God chose the path of Pharaoh's heart to always reject him and be destined for destruction. It says, can't God choose to show his glory through someone who was destined for destruction? Well, I kind of think we're able to choose our own destined for destruction or not. But when God, who knows our hearts better than we know our hearts, can see that our heart has chosen to turn entirely and always away from him, He'll use us to still glorify himself. It's not going to go well for us. You don't want to be in that guy's position. No, no. And and there's been a couple times in my life I've almost been afraid I have been in that guy's position. But I guess the fact that it concerns me means you're not in that guy's position. You know, Pastor Alberta at Cornerstone always said, if if your heart is seeking to if you're afraid of your eternal destination or you're afraid of where you stand with God, you're in pretty good shape because those who are in bad standing with God don't care. The fact that you care is the first sign that he's still drawing you, that he still has not given up on you. Hmm. <clears throat> so it's, uh, it's really fun to talk to you, dad. I love, I love how, uh, Every time you're uh, you're just ready to go. <laughs> I read I read this yesterday and how and me and Steve just abandoned ship. I was like, we got I need to think about it. <laughs> I, I'm not ready. I don't know what this means. This bothers me. And um, that predestination stuff. Yeah, the predestination stuff. I I, I didn't like that Paul asked a question that seems very reasonable and says, no, don't even ask that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's always, it troubled me with Job too. And yet you see God's heart for Job. What he said to Job, when Job said, I've been faithful, why? And God said, yeah, yeah, you you should be asking me, shouldn't you? You were there when I made the earth, right? You were there when I laid out the foundations. You were there when I created all the animals. You were there. You see my plans for eternity. And Job had just, what Job hadn't seen is God had just made a laughing stock of Satan in front of all the beings in heaven because of Job's obedience and Job's heart. And Job says, why? And God doesn't say, hey, guess what, Job? You're really awesome. And I was using you to make a mockery of Satan in front of everyone in heaven. He yeah. said, Job, why are you asking me why I do what I do? Yeah. Job said, I'm sorry. And he said, that's better. And then he gave him... <laughs> You know, double what he had, and then he said to his friends, 
you guys are bad, bad guys. You're bad friends. And they said, we're sorry. And he said, well, if Job will pray for you, I'll forgive you. (laughs) He didn't even tell them, you guys need to ask forgiveness. He said, "Uh, when my, when my servant Job prays for you, you'll be forgiven and restored. (laughs) That's That's the one niner lever runway one four clear to land. The wind is calm. I think you might have just had a stroke or something, Dad, because you're not making any sense anymore. Yeah, I know, but this airplane <laughs> about to land, he, he, I'm making sense to him. <laughs> well, thank you for uh, letting us uh, do this. I should have recorded that. Is that the one-night lever or what we just did? I'm just kidding. I recorded it.